0: the long run, passivity won't pay off. It never pays off. If you want a life of meaning and transcendence, you're going to have to move. Aggression doesn't have to be toxic or damaging. Healthy aggression risks. It builds new things. It breaks through barriers. It's the key to living a life that matters. I'm Brian Tome, and this is The Aggressive Life. Well, we are weeks away from the election. Do you feel the pressure yet? Are you look, looking forward to election night to see where the votes roll in and figure out if you're going to be crying or celebrating, or maybe you're you're just ready for it to all be over? The aggressive move isn't to bury your head in the sand and hope for the storm to pass, but it's also not what I see on social media throwing dirt and vitriol at the other side of the aisle. Uh, We're capable of better, folks. We really are. For the next few episodes, we're going to dive into the swamp of politics together. Can you feel the muck sucking at your feet? Yes, politics. I believe there's two aggressive things each of us need to be doing this election cycle, controlling our emotions and learning to listen. That's right. You're in charge of your emotions. Newsflash! Someone can't make you feel some way. I hate when someone that you make me feel, well they make me feel. No one can make you feel anything. You are in charge of your emotions. Not the person who posted the triggering comment, not the Twitter post, not the media industry, not the President of the United States, not the potential President of the United States, not the 24/7 news cycle. You control your emotions. Breathe a little bit, people. <sighs> That's right, just breathe right now. <sighs> breathe a little bit, people. I'm the push hard guy. Be aggressive, change your life, but I'm also the live lightly guy. You should enjoy your life, and some things just need to roll off your back and out of your life. Once your emotions are in check, you can actually do something that will change your life listening. On this podcast, I've made it a point to interview people that I find interesting, aggressive, and inspiring. But that doesn't mean that I wholeheartedly agree with every single thing each one of them believes or does, because I found that when I listen, I learn. And that's what I'm going to challenge you to do today and for the next few weeks. Back in January, I recorded a series of podcasts around politics with thought leaders on the right and the left. And then COVID hit us like a wrecking ball and we decided to shelve them for a while, but it's time to get them to you. I'm asking you to make the aggressive move and listen, especially if you don't like or identify with the party represented by the guest. If you can control your emotions and listen, I think you'll find common ground you didn't know existed and a reason to hope no matter the outcome of the election. To get us started in these conversations, we're going to start with Andrew Hanauer. No, he's not part of a pretzel empire. Isn't there, isn't there, a, isn't there a pretzel man, Hanauer? Oh, no, that was Hanover, I think, whatever. Uh-huh. He's, Andrew's not about pretzels. He's about politics. We featured him once on the podcast, but this conversation recorded earlier in the year was actually our first sit-down together. Andrew's an expert on polarization. And by that, I mean, what happens when a society rips itself apart through division? My challenge to you in this conversation is to hear what Andrew says and look within. Where do you need to take, take action? Where do you need to make an adjustment? Where do you need to cross the aisle? This podcast isn't meant to give you bricks to throw at the other side, but to do some honest self-assessment on what you can do to help bring some healing to our land and maybe some healing to your soul. So let's get to it. Well, you don't need to, this podcast or any podcast to tell you that America is divided. It is divided. People are saying, this is the most important election of our lifetime. It's not the most important election of our lifetime, I don't think. It's, it's going to be the most divisive election of our lifetime. We are extremely polarized. Nowhere is this division felt more strongly than politics. There, there was a time, I think, when two parties worked together But that feels like a thing of the past. In fact, a recent survey found that 20% of Democrats, 15% of Republicans felt like the country would be better off if large numbers of the opposite party would just die. Can we admit that we have a problem? The Fund for Peace, a nonprofit that works against violent conflict in the world, has ranked America among the most awful nations in the entire world for social cohesion indicators. Things like how well we get along, how much we feel like we belong, how much we trust each other. And that puts us on par with countries experiencing active military conflict and authoritarian governments. It's not going well. That's why today I'm excited to welcome a man who is aggressive For peace and unity, he believes another way is possible. His name is Andrew Hanauer. He's the president and CEO of the One American Movement, an organization working to address the increasing polarization of America. I had the opportunity to meet this guy very briefly. I was invited to a, um, oh, gosh, a two-day affair in Washington, D.C. of, um, oh, might I call it uh, religious insiders. It's a very small group. I got the blessing to be there, so I was there, and I heard some I interacted with some very, very impressive people and heard some incredible ideas and this guy, when I came away from that meeting, this guy was the one that was on my mind. This guy, this guy said, I need to get around him more. I need to get him in front of all of the networks I influence because he has so he, he just rung my bell. His work has been published and featured in The Washington Post. The Times of Israel, Israel Press, multiple other media outlets. He's got some incredible insights. Welcome to The Aggressive Life, Andrew Hanauer. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being had. So, tell us your story. Tell us your story. Yeah, give us a little background. Who is Andrew Hanauer?
1: <laughs> um, I, uh, I grew up in a Jewish home, uh, secular, totally non-religious. Uh, when I got to college, I had no— Interest in religion, had never experienced religion, didn't care about religion, um, and then uh, met friends who were Christian and became uh, something that I wanted for my life. So, I, I went in that direction. My wife is from rural Arkansas. I'm from California. So, we've got in our own family, you know, a lot of these divides that we're seeing in the country, religious, political, yes. Uh, Thanksgiving table fun, that sort of thing. <laughs> Thanksgiving
0: table fun. So, like, describe, Could you? is there a way to describe where you are personally politically? I don't even know where you are personally, politically, and that's part of what we're going to talk about today. But anything there we ought to explore?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we do is we, we conflate like how left or right you are. And I think you, I've heard you mention this, too, with how tribal we are, right? Like you can be very progressive or very conservative and still want to engage the other side productively and say, yeah, I really disagree with you on this, but we could work together on this. Yes. Or you can be totally tribal and say, my side is right even if you're kind of moderate politically, my side's right, and you guys are evil, and I don't want anything to do with you. So I have a mix of views. I'm not all in one camp, but um, what I do believe, I believe really strongly. But but the thing that I believe most strongly is that Jesus calls us to love our enemies, calls us to work with people who uh, aren't like us. And I think that's that's part of what we're trying to do.
0: You talked about things that we believe strongly, and you tried to you help me understand why we are so polarized, how the brain works, how culture. Just go ahead and give us your spiel. Give us a give us an understanding of why it is you think that we are the way we are right now.
1: Yeah, human beings are wired for us versus them, right? So from the beginning, human beings have been um, uh, have have been wired in in terms of their brains to to form groups, right? Groups are what protect us. Groups protected us from lions back in the day, right? Groups are give or will give us meaning. They give us connection, support. Groups are good, right? We want groups. Um, but the problem is that when we get into groups, the the most important thing to us becomes how do I stay in my group, right? And if if we get kicked out of our group, we lose everything that we sort of care about and believe in. And so we're willing to do almost anything to stay in our group, including attack the other side, be quiet when our side's doing negative things, right? And so you get this this dynamic where people who are really loud and really divisive are really loud and divisive. And all of, all of us are silent because we're scared that if we speak up against our own loud, divisive folks, we're going to get kicked out of our group. Mm. So you're saying that,
0: uh, gosh, in the beginning of humankind, mankind, womankind, we needed other people to be able to kill things and eat things and survive. And so you're saying that hardwired in our DNA – in our makeup, in our spiritual orientation, is a need to belong and be faithful to a tribe.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's a lot of that is healthy, but like anything else, we take it too far. Um, And, uh, you know, some some divides don't have to be violent or negative, right? Like you could have people who like dogs and people who like cats. They don't have to fight each other. You get some that are kind of on the middle, like Alabama-Auburn or something like that, right? Where... Usually there's no violence but all once time. in a while <laughs> once in a while there's some violence or someone poisons the other side's trees or whatever it is. But when we get to where all of who we are is just like are you red or blue? Then suddenly all of all of what we care about is wrapped into that. And so when someone attacks it, it's a big deal. I, this is this is really fresh for me. The, the term tribe. Mm-hmm.
0: Everyone's been using that term, right? I mean, yeah. you Seth Godin just You know, really made millions off of it, wonderful stuff. But this angle that when you're in a tribe, you have to, in a way, not like the other tribe, that's kind of history, right? I'm reading right now a book on the Comanches. I always thought that the Apaches were the most, you know, difficult, ferocious Indians. Uh, It's not. It's the Comanches. And I also thought – this may be new, old school for other people, but it's new news for me – I just kind of thought that the pilgrims came over here and I bought the narrative that we got the Winchester and we just went out and we just, you know, eliminated all the tribes, which we did do. It's one of the awful blights in American history, our our original sin, the sin of racism for sure. But like reading the Comanche thing, all those tribes were slaughtering each other. (laughs) You know, we think Indian's Indian. We think those of us who are of European descent, Asian is Asian. No, no, there's all kind of—all those tribes were eliminating each other even before the, the white tribe came up. And so you're saying this is this is part of just our makeup.
1: Yeah, well, and you're hitting on something really big, which is that we think the other group is all the same, right? Mm. So if someone, if someone asked you if everyone in your church agrees on everything, you'd laugh, right? I mean, that's hilarious. Is, of course they don't. But to an outsider who hears the word evangelical Christian, right, in their mind, they're thinking— Evangelical Christians are all the same, right? They all believe the same things. Um, We do this about race. We do it about religion. Well, that's why I'm not even sure I want to
0: identify myself as an evangelical Christian. I'm always like, well, tell me what your
1: definition of that is. Right.
0: You're right. I mean, there is a tribal thing already. I'm not sure I want to be in that tribe
1: some days. And that's the other thing too, right? So that makes sense. But then what happens is the people who have misgivings, the people who are like, I don't know if I want to go down this road, they leave the group. Mm. And that makes the group even more what it was before. Dude. That happens all the time. I've thought about changing
0: our statement of beliefs from what we believe to what we teach Mm. at our church crossroads. Because say what we believe, it's it's actually very minimal. There's like seven of them, seven things. But we don't all believe those things. Mm -hmm. And then if you believe in the scripture and then you teach things coming out of it, like whenever we teach on sexuality, people are just going bonkers. I don't believe that. You can be here and not believe that, but it is what we teach. Right. You know, yeah, you're right. We don't. We're so we're we have people leave the church here all the time just because they don't want to be associated with one percent, one one hundredth of something that happens at the church because right. they're concerned. And you're this is interesting. You're saying this is why.
1: Yeah, and the other thing is that the, if you think about a group of ten people, it's, your church is about ten people, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, roughly. Yes, and so if two of them are really loud and divisive, and eight of them are silent, the other thing that the eight silent people don't know is what the other silent people are thinking. They're guessing, right? Maybe those eight are actually the majority, or maybe if you speak out against the two, you're the only one, right? You don't know. And so when you have a lot of silent people, you have a lot of people trying to guess what the group believes and not really knowing. Yes.
0: All right. So keep going. What else about this polarization issue are we, are we not knowing? I, one thing right now, tribes,
1: duh, makes sense. What else? Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing is that it, doesn't it feel like our polarization is different than it used to be? It does. Yeah. And Why? It's, well, because it, it used to be about issues polarization used to be, I think this, you think that, Let's we disagree, right? But over the last 40 years, it's shifted. It's now about team team sports, identity, right? It's like us versus them. And so one of the things that, that we'll talk about more today is, is over the last 40 years, Americans' views on policy issues haven't changed almost at all. Like we still believe basically what we've always believed, but our level of hatred for the other side is way up. So how is it possible that we haven't changed our beliefs, but we hate each other a lot more. And that's because we've shifted into this. <laughs> Someone wrote in the New York Times, it's shifted from, I don't like what you believe to, I hate your stupid face, right? And that's basically where it's going. Yes, um, And that's, that's dangerous. That's, that's a problem. Right. So what's the solution? <laughs> There's a few. I mean, I think when people get into these two really rigid teams— one of the things is that we need to keep the sort of things that keep us together alive. So one thing we talk about is is forming new teams, right? So a new team doesn't mean you come and sit with someone who disagrees with you and talk politics, but be nice about it, right? Mm-hmm. It means you do things together, like Democrats and Republicans serving the homeless together, fighting the opioid crisis together, doing something about racism together. When you do things with someone from another group, you form a new team, and that, that – binds you together and creates trust, and that's when you can actually have conversations about the things where you do disagree. Yeah, um, We need that in our society a lot more. We have so many people talking and not enough people actually going out and doing something that is, is good for our country. But
0: it does feel that our, our beliefs are farther apart than they used to be. It feels that way. Am I wrong? Like I remember when Al Gore was running against George Bush mm. and Saturday Night Live— Spoofed them. You remember this? Because yes. uh, there were debates. Yeah. They had a bunch of things in the debates where one person would say something, and they would say, "Mr. Gore, what do you say about that?" He would say, um, "I, uh, yeah, I'm, we're not too far apart in there." <laughs> there was like three or four of those, and Sarah and I was making fun of them because yeah. th- they, they seemed to be pretty together on. I mean, I think they were apart on. Uh, they had different opinion on abortion and on. I don't know. Probably the environment, some other. But it seems like we've got more today. Is that just my? Do I just feel that way, or are we? further apart philosophically.
1: Well, the people aren't, but the we get the politicians we deserve, right? Like, so I think if you if, – if your number one goal is to beat the other side, regardless of what the policies are or whatever else, you're going to be OK with a candidate who does that, even if their views are way out there, right? And so um, even if we haven't changed our minds about what we believe, if we hate the other side more, we're more willing to do anything to stop them. Right.
0: Now, your, your organization, One American Movement, started in the aftermath of the 2016 election, mm-hmm. which the 2020 election looks like it's going to be a lot worse than the 2016 election. Was there a, a moment where you saw what was happening in 2016 and you said, okay, as Popeye used to say, I can stand it no more. Was there a <laughs> defining moment for you that made you get in the fight?
1: there was but it was right after the election. Oh. I was um asked to speak at a conference. It was mostly Catholics actually. And um people were just kind of like wow, like what's going on in our country? And it wasn't so much even about who had won, although I think in that room there were folks who were upset about that. It was more about something's different, right? Something this was not good whatever we just went through over the last 6 months in that year. And I remember just throwing out my speech. I just threw it out. I I don't want to talk about whatever I was going to talk about. Let's just talk about our country. And it was amazing to hear people say, I don't know anyone from the other side. I don't have a relationship with a single person who voted for X, right? And to hear people say, you know, my fear is that we're going to fight each other and not do anything about any of the things that we actually have to do in our society, solve problems. Um, And so there was a real, even if people had really strong opinions about the president, they also felt really strongly about this is not the, the direction I want our country to go. And so the things that I've been feeling in my own mind, I, I suddenly realized was not – I was certainly not alone.
0: And that right. was a, that was a moment. Right. Talk about the neuroscience that you clued me into as to why mm-hmm. this works.
1: Yeah. So um, one of the things we have is, is – the, these words are so wonky and I think part of our job is to make them uh, translatable. So motive misattribution, which means I think my side acts out of love and your side acts out of hate right? Think about You hear this with abortion all the time. You're not pro-life. You're anti-choice. You're not you – know, you don't know. You care about choice. You just want to do whatever you want to do and who cares about the consequences for unborn babies, right? So we we can disagree but what we're doing is we're putting negative motives on the other side that don't exist because the research shows that the other side is not motivated by what you think they are. People who try to guess the motives of people who aren't in their group get it wrong, like to a hilarious level. Um but when you think the other side's motivated by evil, why would you work with them, right? And so we just get farther and farther apart. Um, there's also one called meta-perceptions, which is, I think you hate me, so I hate you back. And again, we're off by like 250 percent. People hate the other side way less than we think they do. Um, so this stuff just serves to force to push us farther and farther apart.
0: How did this affect you uh, becoming a Christian?
1: Yeah, so um, first, my first meta-perception of Christians was that they thought I was a, a inferior person, right? If they think they're going to heaven and I'm not, it's because they're better than me. And it, it took months of being in relationship with my – it was my college roommate to understand that whether you think that's right or wrong, that's not the motive that he was coming from. His His point was that everybody sucks, right? Everyone's sinful and we're all equally undeserving of heaven. Um, and and Jesus is a way to 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 broach to breach that. So um, just that simple flip. Again, a lot of people may not agree with that, but that simple flip helped me understand that Christians weren't coming towards me from a point of judgment, right? So no one wants to listen to someone who they think they're just judging them, right? right?
0: You're only talking to me because you're trying to keep me from going to hell. That's never right. that, that's <laughs> yes. never incentive for open dialogue.
1: No, it's not. So just even getting to know someone and understanding their motives, even if I didn't agree with him, and there's things we still, you know, deeply disagree about, but um, that that opened the door. It made it possible for me to actually hear what he was trying to say. Well, you also
0: said that you didn't want to be associated with
1: George Bush. <laughs> yes. At the time, um, when I thought about Christians, I just thought about Republicans. Okay. And, uh, you know, in college, for me, that was what my politics was my religion, right? And um, I think more and more people – the more people think that Christianity is part of a political team, the more a lot of people are not going to want to hear anything that Christians have to say. Give us the illustration analogy
0: or walk us through it about rejecting my favorite sports team and what that says about my brain and polarization. (laughs) Sure. So uh, uh,
1: what's your favorite sports team?
0: Oh, gosh. Even just saying it, I'm afraid to get judged. I'm so afraid to get judged. I hate that the haters are going to come out. Oh, should I say it? Okay, I'll say it.
1: I don't even want to say that. I'll go my second, s- fa- second favorite. I'll go second my second favorite. favorite. All right,
0: the Pittsburgh Penguins.
1: Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna guess that I know what your first favorite. That's NHL, yes. Um, I'll give you 25 bucks to burn a Penguins jersey on national television. 25 dollars. Yeah, and yell, "Penguins suck."
0: I have to yell, penguins suck? Yes. Uh, I was okay to burn it for $25. I'm not sure right. I'd say yell. $100. $100. No, I still would not do $5, that. $5,000. $5,000. Yeah. Uh, I think I would do that for $5,000. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then I would apologize to them afterwards. But I, <laughs> I, I, I think I would do that for 5000 bucks.
1: Okay. Um, I'll give you $5,000 to renounce your faith on national television. Mm, yeah. No. No. Ten, yeah. Ten, ten. million. Ten million. Yeah. Ten million dollars. No. Yeah. There's no money, right? Right. Like there's there's certain things that we just won't do, no matter how much money. In fact, it's it's offensive. It's obnoxious to ask someone, right? Like I'll I'll give you a hundred dollars for your child, right? Like that's offensive. The part of your brain that processes the first question is different from the part that processes the second question. The second question you process where you process rules, just black and white, yes or no. Um. And so as, as we get more and more divided and we care more and more about our team, what, one of the things that we're trying to understand in research is are more and more political questions getting processed in that second part of our brain. And that's scary because once they get there, it makes it a lot harder to actually have a conversation with someone or to come to some sort of compromise.
0: Are you saying that there's a difference neurologically between things we're a fan of and things that are, are our identity? Is Sorry, that we-
1: things that we have – the ability to compromise or negotiate or weigh the value of okay, right? okay versus things where you could offer me the trillion dollars. I'm not going to do it. Mm. And so, for instance, I'll give you an example. There, there are Palestinians who believe that um, they should be able to return to the homes they lived in, in the 1940s before Israel was a country. And they still have the keys to their homes. Mm. And if you offer them money and say, all right, give up your right to come back to Israel, but but here's some money, they say no because that's the second part of that brain, right? if you offer them an apology or like an acknowledgement of their of their loss and then say all right now how do we figure this out together how how about we give you some money and we set up a new home their response goes way way more positive mm. so you've got to be able to understand when you're tapping into the part of someone's brain that's just like this is a this is a sacred value for me i will not compromise on this
0: that's a fascinating one cuz i just i just got back from israel been yeah. over i don't know 10 to 15 times in the last whatever and the Jews that I'm interacting with are great. The Muslims I'm interacting with are great. Never met them. In fact, never met a Muslim over there I didn't like. Um, I could say the same thing about the Jews as well. I mean, there's yeah. personal quirks on both of them, but but I just go like, man, you. if I like both of you, why can't you like each other? Why can't you figure it out? And that's part of the thing you're saying as to why that's not happening?
1: Yeah, well, especially when you're dealing with something like um, a country's homeland, or a religion's homeland, or or um, you know, a sacred place like the Dome on the Rock, or things like that, or the Wailing Wall. Like it's, it becomes put in a part of your brain where any compromise would be seen as not right. just not okay, but a, but but immoral.
0: Yeah, I
1: know. Even in my
0: tribe, the uh, the conservative Christian tribe, that tribe I was absolutely a part of, twenty five years ago. I'm um, not so much a part of that tribe right now, um, for a bunch of reasons. I I like slamming beers for parts, so it doesn't get me in there and you know, I have I like tobacco and a bunch of other reasons, but it keeps me out of there. But nonetheless, it was what was really pushed in our face all the time is no compromise, no compromise, no compromise. And then I, I started reading the Bible and just realized there's a heck of a lot of compromise in the Bible. Yeah. There's um there's the there's the council at Jerusalem that is dealing with what are we going to do about these Gentiles who become followers of Christ? Are we going to circumcise them or not? What about the dietary laws? And they, they pick out three things and they compromise. They utterly compromise. We see God himself compromises. He doesn't want a king. He says, you, Israel, you want king? I don't, I don't want a king. And they're like, oh, we want a king. Okay, you want a king? I'll, I'll give you one. And Saul is the first king. We see him accommodating our crap. In the garden, Adam and Eve fall. They're naked. They're taking leaves, putting leaves on. And and God accommodates us, or you might say even compromises from what the original Zion And he he's the first person to shed blood and put animal skins over top of us. I mean, I could go on and on. No no one ever talks about these ones in in the Christian circles because we've had drummed into us that you should never compromise. There are some things. I love you. I love your paradigm there. There are some things that I I will not compromise on for sure. But there's a heck of a lot less of them than there was 20 years
1: ago. Yeah. No, totally. And I think part of it comes from just the um, self-reflection of, of not being self-righteous. It, it's unlikely that I am right about everything I believe, right? It's unlikely because not all of us can be right about everything we believe. And if you start from that premise, it doesn't mean you give up the things that you know you have deep convictions about, but it means you at least are open to the the idea that you have something to learn from someone else. Um, and I think we have to be there because if you start from a place of I'm right about everything, then your only question is how am I willing to listen to someone so that I can change their mind, right? You're not willing to actually open yourself to the possibility that your right. mind could be changed.
0: So if we have mindsets, mindsets we're able to compromise on, mindsets where we're not mm-hmm. able to compromise on, we will not, like giving up our faith. What's happening to us? What is the plan? What has been the, the scheme, rather, that's been happening in our country to get more of us to have more things that we won't compromise on?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, if, if you think the other side is really, really bad, it's really hateful, it's going to destroy the country, you become willing to do whatever it takes to stop them. And that means you're going to do some things that are not right. And they see that and they think, these people are evil. We need to do whatever it takes to stop them. And so we just get farther and farther apart. And so it's just – it's, like it's like a negative feedback cycle. And if we're going to stop it, we have to create positive feedback cycles, which is I don't hate you. Oh, wow. I thought you did. OK. Like let's do something together. Oh, wow. I didn't realize we agree on this one issue even though we disagree on this other issue. Let's do something about that issue. And the society starts to be functional again and rational and not, not crazy and tribal. Um, and so I think that's what's happening right now is it's a cycle. It's getting worse and worse because it feeds itself and mm-hmm. we need to push it the other direction. And how do we push it the other direction?
0: Is it just, number one, being aware that we're being brainwashed? That's the thing, we talk about, no one wants to be a lemming, right? Yeah. But the vast majority of us appear to be lemmings, appear to just be swallowing this hook, line, and sinker narrative that somebody else is gonna get me, and if somebody that believes different than me, then there's no way I can like them, and somebody else must be evil, and so we're, we're increasing numbers of us are, are falling prey to this, right, Andrew?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, but yes and no. I think there's a huge number of us who are quiet, who aren't saying anything, right? There's a, a term for it, the exhausted majority, right? Which is people who are just like, make it stop. I, had, I have a friend who's a conservative Christian writer. He said that there are churches that, you know, are singing the the Make America Great Again hymns. There are churches that are on the left. And he's like, my church is full of people who are like, please, God, make it stop. Wait, wait, wait. There's a Make America Great
0: hymn?
1: Yes. at a a church in Dallas. Are
0: you serious? A hymn, Mm -hmm. Make America Great.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But but that aside, um, the way that we make it stop, the way that we turn it around is we got to do two things. The first is we got to do things together across those divides. We got to go work together, right? We got to get to know each other. We got to forget the politicians and reconnect with our neighbors. The second thing we have to do is we got to have people like you setting the norms for your own group. Right? What does it mean to be a Christian? Does being a Christian mean that you hate Democrats? Like, if that's what being a Christian means, that's crazy. That's not healthy. That's going to feed this cycle, right? So, how do we get leaders to help shape the norms in their churches, in their synagogues, in their in their groups? Um, and and I think that is a huge part of it. In divided societies, leaders matter a lot. Leaders are a huge part of how we turn things around. Mm-hmm. So, we're talking about our opinions here,
0: what we look, it looks like we're seeing. But what does history tell us? Is there, is there any clues from the past that should help us here in the present?
1: Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the people we work with are Americans who used to do this work in other countries, and now they're back here, which, first of all, that, I mean, that's terrifying, right? I mean, Wait, what do you mean
0: they used to do this work? They, in- so,
1: these are Americans who, who grew up and said, I want to solve conflict. And so they went to places where there was conflict in Kenya and Jordan Syria and um, places around the world, Middle East. And then the signs here in the U.S. were so bad, the the rhetoric, the things they were seeing, that a lot of them came back to the United States to do this work here, which they never thought they would do. Um, That's worrisome. That is worrisome. But we also can learn a lot from from what they've uh, done in other countries and what we've seen in other countries. Societies get bad – When we get really rigidly into these two teams, right? So in Rwanda, for instance, it was a deliberate effort to make only one identity matter. You were either Hutu or you were not, right? And that was all that mattered. And so they stopped caring about what your religion was, whether you spoke French or English the, the idea of Rwandan identity stopped mattering just the way that like american identity seems to feel like it matters less and less right because all that matters now is which team are you on obviously that ended really really badly but there's also a story from rwanda that shows us partly what we can do about it right so actually the muslim community in rwanda almost to 100% resisted the genocide so before it started the Rwandan muslim leaders said we see this coming this is bad and we're going to set the norms for our group. So they went out and they gave sermons and they talked and they said, listen, a time of temptation is coming. You're going to be tempted to do things you shouldn't do. Don't do it. As a Muslim, you don't do that. And so when the genocide happened, Rwandan Muslims made fake burial sites to save people. They ferried people across rivers. In some cases, the, the, the murderers came into the mosque and said separate into the two ethnic groups so we can kill and they refused and they all died because of it. And so this was an amazing story of resistance and it was because leaders said to their people, we are not – this is not who we are, right? And as members of our group, this is who we need to be. That is strong. How about some others? Any others? Um, there's a town in Bosnia that did almost the same thing but they did it as a town. So instead of saying as Muslims were this or as Christians were this, they said as residents of the city – our identity is that we're together. doesn't matter what your ethnicity or religion is. We're together. And so even when the war came all around them, they found a way to work together to basically keep it out of their own city. Um, and when there was violence, instead of then de- devolving into fighting each other, they stayed together.
0: I don't want us to miss something that you said earlier because it's pretty ominous if I heard you right. I want to make sure I heard you right. Yeah. Are you saying that people – We're in America and saw legit civil war happening in other countries and went there to help. And as Americans, as they now look at our country, they see the marks for us to have a legit civil war here in our country?
1: I want to be clear because I don't want to be alarmist either. We're not there yet. Okay. And hopefully we won't get there. And we may not get there. There's no guarantee that we will even if we keep going down the path we're going. But the, the things that they're scared by are the warning signs. They're seeing this, the trends, this, the rhetoric, the, the, the type of breakdown in society. Those trends are bad. And if we can stop them now, we'll never get close to a civil war. Um, but if we let them go on, then, yes, there's a very good possibility that things will get worse.
0: So if 10 is Bushy Run,
1: forgive me for my bad
0: civil war stuff, I think Bushy Run was the first battle in, a, in the civil war. Do you yeah, remember that? Um, uh, it was one of, Bull Run. Bull Run. OK, whatever. If, if, if 10 is that first battle— and one is the end of the Revolutionary War. <laughs> we're, we're somewhere between one and ten, definitively marching towards ten, right? Yeah, I think that's I'm not going to ra- say we're nine or an eight, but I'm saying if we're a uh, – whatever our number is, it was a much lower number not too long ago. It's
1: gotten worse over the last 20, 30 years, yeah,
0: for sure. Dude, like I got to tell you right now. It's called the aggressive life. And I hope I got some leaders here. I hope there, I hope there's some leaders here. There's got to be people who are listening to this podcast. You're a leader in your neighborhood. You're a leader in your business. You're a leader in your political party. How about being a leader? How about being somebody who steps up and says, hey, I'm not going to demonize people who are thinking different than me. And I'm not going to demonize people who are even wrong. We're not even telling you that you've got to admit that somebody else is right. Let's just say, I'm not going to demonize and take people with me towards war. Emotional, psychological, physical, spiritual, whatever it is. Let's stop being a part of the silent majority as it relates to rolling our eyes over all the rhetoric and start actually speaking up for decency, for compromise, for talking, for interacting. Might I even say the word love? Yeah, yeah, where's, where's the aggressive people? We're, we're, we, we please stand up. we got to start doing something differently because what we've done up to this point, it's not working. Rolling our eyes and just hoping so-and-so doesn't win or rolling our eyes and hoping so, so-and-so, so what, what? it's not working. We're close to crisis situation here and we need people to start getting aggressive in a different way. You're nodding. Add on to that.
1: Say something else. Andrew, I, you're I the- I mean, <laughs> amen. I mean, if you if you're a leader, that means you need to lead. And people, people who are leading right now are often scared of their own folks. Like if I speak out at church, half my church will walk out, right? Well, first of all, there's there's ways to avoid that. There's ways to be more effective in how you speak out. Speaking out doesn't always mean just saying whatever you feel is in your head at that moment. Right. But also we have to be willing to stand up for what we care about and not just be quiet and kind of, oh, look at these two crazy groups on either side, right? No, no. Let's actually get out there and be part of the solution. Exactly. Crossroads is a— it was a big church.
0: I think we've probably had more fluctuation than any church I've known. Ups and downs. A lot, gain a lot of people, lose a lot of people. Ups and down, ups and downs. And there's, there, there's a number of different reasons for that. All good, not good. Like none of the reasons are good. They, they break my heart. But there's reasons for it. One of the reasons is we, uh, as, as we reach Americans, um, Americans believe, increasingly believe that, if they're going to hear a church talk about something, if they find one thing that they disagree with, well, I can't be part of that. I I I, I, can't, I can't I can't be part of it. You can disagree with me and come. <laughs> how, about, how about being a person of strength and go? I can live with a few percentage points off instead of oh I got to take a stand. I got you know. so I, I'm just going to clear right now. If I whittle crossroads down to nothing, because I'm choosing to tell the truth that sometimes might hurt. If I, if I choose to whittle crossroads down to nothing because I choose to compromise when other people aren't willing to compromise, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. And I want people who are in anything I'm in who are also good with that. And if you're not good with that, well, I hope you can grow a little bit because that's where I'm going. I want to I be in a place of harmony. I, wa- I want to be around people who think differently than me. I want to be with people who I think are utterly, completely wrong. And not unnecessarily wound them emotionally or whatever. And so I'm just just hearing you talk today. I'm just I'm just even more more committed that we need more of us who are up for being different.
1: Yeah, and or even you know what about being a church that values being willing to challenge ourselves, right? And that means challenge our own beliefs, listen to other beliefs that we disagree with, rather than oh, this is a church that is a red church or a blue church or right. whatever it is.
0: Why is it so difficult? to hear things that differ with our own.
1: Yeah, that's funny. So the part, when you hear a fact that counters your deeply held beliefs, the part of your brain that processes that fact is the same part that processes being attacked with a weapon. So it's the same thing. It it, it feels like an attack on who we are. And so, um, of course... People think that the way to change someone's mind is to come and tell them a fact. It's the worst thing you can do. Yeah. Worst thing you can do. Wow.
0: I we just released a, a thing on Amazon Prime called Phantom Lake. It's a motorcycle. It is a motorcycle documentary. It's doing it's doing really well. We've had several minute, several million minutes viewed, and uh, it's going really good. The only thing that's not going well with really is the uh, is the motorcycle community. <laughs> so they don't going, like it? Yeah, well, I've got some forms that I'm on. Uh, I've been a big motorcyclist for a while, and so uh, I get it. I understand it. Uh, they Too dangerous, too new of riders. You know, Trip Captain, who is me, is a control freak. Um, uh, don't like the God component of it. Um, on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And, on. and, uh, and, and I knew it was coming because I'm in those forms. I understand how they think. And yet it's incredibly Difficult to hear that criticism, and I think to myself, and I say this to other folks who who have a hard time with people who disagree with them and don't have a relationship with Christ yeah. this is not a religious podcast, so sorry if you've come into this and all of a sudden you're getting some religion on you, but here it goes anyway, just just for a framework for you you know the 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 Christian faith is not about your belief about abortion. The Christian faith is not about how you aren't using pornography. The Christian faith has nothing to do about tobacco. Nothing. The Christian faith has nothing to do about alcohol. Nothing. The Christian faith is this. There's a guy who lived 2,000 years ago who lived a perfect sinless life. He took all the pain on himself that I wouldn't have to take because God was pretty upset with me. And Jesus took all that upsetness on his back on the cross so I don't have to. And here's the other thing, crazy, crazy thing. Not only is all my garbage rebelliousness or the fuddy-duddy term sin transferred to Jesus' back, but all of Jesus' goodness, all of his righteousness – all of his high stand with God is transferred to my account there's a there's a wire transfer my crap to his ledger his riches to my ledger so when God looks at me he sees something totally different than my past and even my my present now when that gets into you when you understand that you can love anybody because you realize you're not that much different from them and you can start to love like Christ because I don't have to be right to be right. <laughs> I need Christ to be in a right relationship. So I, I can be wrong on me having guns. I can be wrong on my abortion position, which is very conservative because I'm adopted. Very, very good. I can, I can be wrong on that. And the end of the day, all I, all I really need to be right with is God, not my positions. Now, when you come in the place, it's very, very freeing, but it's also very educational because very few people can do that. And I can't expect somebody else to be that free. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, even though I have that sort of whole mindset theology, reading the forums of how people are upset with me, <laughs> how they hate Phantom Lake, how this, the, I mean, it is hard, man. It, it It is utterly difficult. These are people I don't know. I'm reading it on a page. They have no influence on my life. And yet it, man, it hurts so bad. It, it's, and you want to not hurt, I want to crawl up in a corner. It hurts like I want to say, where are you so we can come and see rides better kind of thing. Why is that? What is that visceral response? Why?
1: Well, I think you hit on it. I mean, I think if if your identity is wrapped up in being right about something, right? So I know that from the little I know you, I know that your identity is wrapped up in your faith. It's not wrapped up in making great Amazon Prime shows, right? Right. But you're a human being, and of course, part of you is going to feel like, man, I really wanted to make that the best show ever, and I'm sure it's the best show ever. But for some folks, it didn't work. If – when we get into these two teams, the problem is it's not just about your position on guns or abortion or immigration. It's that they're all wrapped up together. And so if someone disagrees with you about one thing, it feels like an attack on your entire team. And when your entire identity is that one team, Mm, we wonder why we can't get along.
0: Got it. All right. I, I keep forgetting that. You're right. You, you, you said that before. I just So it's right. It's, it's not the belief. It's this is my team. This mm-hmm. is my family. Yeah. Probably even more so important today because we've had the breakdown of families. Sure. And so the best, only place we're
1: getting families are people we self-select into with beliefs. Sure. I, I run into communities all the time where they literally don't know anyone from the other side. And so it's not just your your political identity; it's your family, it's your friends, it's your community. It all feels like it's the same thing.
0: Andrew, I like you. I like you, boy. I like you a lot. You're my kind of peeps. You are. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out some quick hit questions to you. Are you ready? This is, I'm ready. It's called the lightning round. You got to go quick. Let's lightning do it. round. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Historical figure you most admire? Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Ooh. See, this is this is the problem. Every time I get into the lightning round, I can never let it stay. I never understand. A lot of people don't even know who that is. Yeah, give, no. give us a quick bio.
1: I mean, I could do Martin Luther King or Jesus, no, no, but no, you know, that, I'm, I'm just trying to be be authentic here. So, although I like King a lot, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German Christian. You like him
0: because he's white, don't you?
1: Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yeah, that's why you like him. Go yeah, on. no. <laughs> um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German Christian, uh, saw the Nazis coming. Said, "This is not. This is not right." saw the church becoming just a tool of the Nazis, said, we can't do this, fled to the U.S., and then made the decision. He said, I can't leave my country in the middle of this and be safe over here. And he went back to Germany, stood up for what he believed and ended up in a concentration camp being executed. And was also part of trying to put Hitler to death. He was. He In fact, he was a pacifist, which I have a lot of sympathy for. But he made the decision. He said – I have got this ideology, but in this particular case, I think the right thing to do is to try to be part of the plot to assassinate Hitler. I mean, that, to me, I really respect that.
0: All right. What do you see going on right
1: now in the nation that you have hope for? Oh, man. Get farther away from Washington, you get more hope. The closer you get, the more local you get, the more you get to the family level, to the community level, to seeing people helping their neighbors. I mean, it just, that's... I see that all over the country because I'm lucky in my job to get to experience that. It's so different from the, from the sort of dystopian darkness we see on cable right, news. That's good. Remember,
0: this is the lightning round. So oh, you got sorry, few, sorry, you got, sorry. It's the lightning round. Local You got lightning. Okay. Local good. stuff's good. All right,
1: here we go. What do you respect about the left? They care about equality and justice. What do you wish they'd change? Stop trying to police everyone's language and care about values more.
0: Ooh, you're playing the lightning round really well. Look at that. Just one little tweak. Bam. Here we
1: go. <laughs> what do you respect about the Right. Uh, they care about personal responsibility.
0: What do you wish they'd change?
1: I wish they'd be more vocally against racism.
0: Damn, Andrew Hanauer for president. Okay, <laughs> why, why is why the reason our country is so quick to anger?
1: Because all of our hopes and dreams are in our political identity. All right, now I want it. Now I want to talk
0: more about these, but I
1: can't. This is great.
0: One thing we can do today. To be a part of the solution? Individuals listening. What, what, is, what can individuals who are listening do today to be a part of the
1: solution? Go do something positive in your community with someone you don't know.
0: A place in the world or history where polarization has been addressed well? Uh,
1: Tusla, Bosnia.
0: And what can we learn from it?
1: That we need to be able to have uh, an identity that unifies us, even if we disagree about things. Thing you want your legacy to be? I, I don't really associate with the word legacy so much. I want to be a good father and a good husband and try to do some good in the world. What's the most
0: aggressive move you've ever made?
1: Most aggressive move i ever made? I uh, I started dating and then married someone who already had a kid. And uh, I was very young, and and that's a big deal if you're a young 20-something-year-old man to to take on that kind of responsibility. That's
0: awesome. How old were you when you made that uh, 24
1: show? when we started dating and 26 when we got married.
0: And how old was uh, the child when you— He was
1: uh, 10, 11 when we started dating.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. All right. When of you made an aggressive mistake that hurt you?
1: Uh, I moved my family across the country for a job, and I think that it, it wasn't a terrible decision. There was good and bad to it, but I think I don't know if I had all of my the right motives in mind when I did it.
0: Andrew, you are one of the bright shining lights in the political conversation, and— the political action here in our country. I want as many people as possible to be aware of you, know what's going on with you, get engaged with what you're going on. So so tell us how we can get a hold of you or follow up with you or, uh, or at least... Be aware of the materials you offer and the stuff that you're trying to help people with.
1: Where to send me angry emails. Yeah, any thing. of
0: that. Yeah. Actually, no. We don't have aggressive life people sending angry emails. You? <laughs> if you send, if, if anyone sends you an angry email from this podcast, let me know who it is because I'm going to cut off your IP address. <laughs> Not your PP, your IP address. I'm going to cut it off.
1: I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, OneAmericaMovement.org is where where we're, we're hosted. And uh, you can see the work that we're doing as, a, as an organization, as a staff, and as a board. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Andrew Henauer. I don't use it that much because Twitter is toxic and negative. Um, but uh, check us out online at oneamericamovement.org. Well, maybe toxic and negative, but we need people who are not toxic and negative to be infiltrating Twitter as well, brother. I know, but the one the one moment when I'm on Twitter when I should be paying attention to my kids is the moment when I'm like, no more Twitter. That's mm-hmm. uh, that can't be what I'm doing. Yeah, that's so. good.
0: Well, Andrew, thanks so much for helping us get to a new level. I wish we had more folks in our country who are talking what you're talking and doing what you're doing. I'm the better for it, and so is The Aggressive Life. So thank you for being here on The Aggressive Life. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for listening. For more aggressive living, head over to bryantome.com. Get signed up for the mailing list to get regular shots of positive aggression sent straight to your inbox. And while you're there, you can also find articles, podcasts, and books. I'm also active on Instagram, Search Brian Tome. Special thanks to the band Judges for the music. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.